0: Get our Bibles out this morning. I'll tell you, I love having two services. Get to worship twice on a Sunday morning. We're in Mark this morning. Part three of our miracle series here on Jesus heals the boy with the demon. This is part three of that message. We're in a sermon series on the miracles of Jesus and We introduced this series some weeks ago, and I encourage you to listen to the intro and understand why Jesus did miracles, what the point of them is, and the fact that the church is still to continue in the miraculous. Amen? All right, let me try that in maybe a different language. Your iglesia? No? The church is to continue in the miraculous. Amen? Jesus said, greater things than this shall you do. Amen? So... As we look at the miracles of Jesus, they have a lesson for us. We're looking at one here with this boy who was tormented by an unclean spirit from his childhood. It had robbed his childhood. It had made a mockery of him. His issue had become such a big deal that it had consumed his identity. Uh, we see Jesus doing 37 miracles in the New Testament. Four times he cast out a devil from someone. And uh, this miracle is covered in three of the Gospels, Matthew 17, 17, Luke 9, and Mark 9. Mark 9 is our main text because it has the most detail. I'm going to read Mark 9, 14 through 29, give you an overview of the entire encounter here, and then we're going to jump in and cover the last verses, 24 through 28, and uh, just pull all the good stuff out of that. You know what? I, I, I feel like the Bible is like an orange that you squeeze all the juice out of it. Amen? Don't just look at the fruit. Amen? Amen? Squeeze all the juice out of you. Say, how do you do that? The Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word today. We thank you for the miracles of Jesus, and we thank you that you've contained them in the New Testament so we can experience them. Jesus did so many more miracles in 37, but Lord God, these are the ones you wanted us to pay attention to. So you have something for us in here. Each of us can take something away. So Father, do that today by the Holy Spirit. Give us something from your heart that applies directly to us. Let these principles be in us as we walk throughout the day. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's Mark 9, and I'm starting in verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some of the scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one in the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do it. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him immediately, the spirit threw him into convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has he been like this? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can do anything, all things are possible to him who believes. Verse 24 is our new material. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And Jesus said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer and fasting. So we have the account there from start to finish. Uh, We see Jesus coming on the scene, the religious people arguing over what's possible and what's not possible. They were no doubt arguing over this spiritual situation and probably trying to assign blame. Well, whose fault is it that the boy is like this? And that's what religion does. It likes to assign blame. It likes to point fingers. It likes to puff itself up so it, it seems spiritually bigger than the lowly people. Here are the scribes, a very intelligent, literate group of people who translated and copied scripture, and they're arguing. And Jesus is like, what are you arguing about? And that saves, sets the stage for this miracle. Now, we notice several times during this miracle, this poor boy is on the ground, rolling around, writhing, foaming at the mouth. He's having a tough day. He's going he's to need a hot bath and some Bengay when this is all done. And we see Jesus, you know, Dealing with the situation, but we we noted that the two main reasons why uh, evil spirits manifest themselves are twofold. One to project power that they don't have, and two to inject fear. That's the point of the show. The enemy wants to seem like he has power. Look what I can do. I can control this kid. I can, you know, make a display of him, make a show of him. They project power that they don't have. Jesus is about to show his authority over the demonic realm and smash the powers of darkness. Amen. And he's going to do it with, without exerting any sweat at all. Also, those spirits that manifest themselves want to inject fear. You know, there are certain things that all of us are scared of, amen. You know those times when them little hairs stand up on your neck or your arm? You watch a really scary movie. You came home, the house is dark, and you walk inside? Come on. you like every noise for the next two days. What is that? Stop watching that stuff. But we get scared, we get spooked, whether we can admit it or not. And this, this, You know, the crowd here is kind of, you know, they're kind of blown away. In verse 24, we catch up with what's going on in this miracle, and we see a powerful truth here that if we can extract the truth out of verse 24, it's going to balance us and give us humility. It's important. It says here in verse 24, immediately the boy's father cried out. Why did he cry out? Because he says to Jesus, you know, if you can do anything, that's the wrong thing to say to Jesus, amen, because Jesus can do anything. But this guy didn't know that, and his faith was pretty battered. And the disciples struck out, and his kid is still rolling around. So he's like, you know, I'm not sure who can do what at this point, but if you can do anything. Jesus says, all things are possible to those who believe, amen? That statement was to the man, and it's to us today. All things are possible to those who believe. But the powerful truth here is in the man's response. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. You see the the clash there, the duplicity. I believe, I have faith, but I also have doubt. So I believe, but help my unbelief. This is important that we grab this here today. The truth that's impregnated in this verse will humble us. It will give us balance. And the truth is this. The fact is that inside all of us, there is a never-ending struggle taking place. There is a war going on within us. Now, as much as we, you know, like to, you know, dress up and put perfume on and look like we're clothed and in our right minds, come to church on Sunday, there is an internal struggle taking place in each of us. And there's a battle raging on. You say, what is it? It's the clash of two kingdoms. It's our flesh clashing with the Holy Spirit. It's our, you know, it's our intellectual mindset that comes from the the world clashing with the things of God. Inside all of us, there is strength that clashes with weakness, wisdom that clashes with ignorance, holiness that clashes with our sin nature. And as this desperate man articulates here to Jesus, belief clashing with unbelief. And I want you to I want you to see this and understand it so once and for all we can settle the fact of why this goes on, because we're confused by it, and we think, you know, now that we know the truth, we should have none of these conflicts, but yet inside there's a duplicity. We're internally conflicted. You know, all of us are strong in some areas, but we're all weak in other areas. All of us are wise in some areas and totally ignorant in others. You know, maybe, maybe you can build things with your hands, you understand construction, but you know, it, when it comes to like, you know, nuclear fusion or some kind of, you know, people are laughing, that's a real job, you know, people have to split atoms, it's, a, it's important. And so, you know, you, I know so much about this, I'm an excellent, I'm, I'm accomplished in that field, but this, I'm totally ignorant of that. It's amazing how people try to project that they know everything about everything, But there's a clash that goes on with us, weakness and strength and wisdom and ignorance, holiness and that sin nature. You know, I want to be holy. I'm clothed in Christ. I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb. I'm redeemed, amen. But yet I have a sinful nature that has an affinity to sin. This is where everybody tries to look so holy. All of us got it. This desperate father, he articulates the clash that's going on with him. It's belief. Clashing with unbelief, there's this internal struggle. He's internally conflicted. He's duplicitous. He doesn't know, you know what to think at this point, but he's trying. And what does he do? He asks for help. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. You see, it takes humility to ask for help. And you know what? We never get better until we ask for help. So the longer we put off asking for help, the longer we stay in our mess, and the deeper the ditch we dig, amen? Amen. If, if you're in a hole, the first rule of holes is this. Stop digging. The first rule of holes. So ask for help, and he does ask for help, and he, he's humble, and he admits that, hey, I believe, and, and, and I, know that, I know I'm standing before someone special here, but, but I've had a lot of bad experiences, so at the same time, I have unbelief. It's that clash. Now, Jesus highlighted this internal clash, and he exposed it, as he spoke to his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26 through 40, uh, Matthew 26, verse 40 and 41, Jesus says this to his disciples. You know this, but, but see the clash here. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? You could not watch with me an hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Listen, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the internal clash, amen. Jesus identified it. Pastor Mike was just preaching about this, amen. You know, our spirit wants to do the right thing, but yet our flesh, you know, it wars against it. It's that tug. Jesus gave, you know, this explanation kind of subtly, but Paul really fleshes it out in Romans 7, verses 14 through 19. If you're taking notes today, write down Romans 7, 14 through 19. I want you to spend time meditating in this during the week to just get the true principle here some of how paul says this is a little bit of a tongue twister so you know just try and follow this but you're going to get the point here paul says in romans seven fourteen, he says for we know that the law is spiritual but i am carnal sold under sin for what i am doing i do not understand for what i would do that i do not do but what i hate that i do if then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, no good thing dwells. For to will is to, is to present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I would do, I do not do. The evil I will not do, that I practice." It's a little hard to track, but you get getting the point right there. Paul is basically saying, look, I'm conflicted. There's an internal struggle within me. I don't want to be proud. I don't want to be boastful. I don't want to be conceited. I want to think more of myself than I ought. Remember, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Why? Well, we can only guess to keep him humble, amen, one of the, he's the greatest apostle that ever lived, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, yet he had this internal conflict. He's like, I don't want to sin, but I'm a sinner. I, I, I want to do the right thing, but I wind up doing the wrong thing. Can anyone identify with that? What is that? It's him articulating this internal conflict that Jesus pointed out in his disciples. You know, your, your flesh is overcoming you. You're, spiritually, you want to do the right thing, guys, but your, your flesh is so weak. This man with the son who's tormented, here he expresses it very simplistically. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Understand, all of us have internal conflicts. and We need to cry out to God for help, amen? It's not a good idea to pretend they're not there because then they never get solved. Now, how do we identify areas of unbelief in our own hearts? This is important. I find many times we have to discover the unbelief in us. And someone can point it out to us, but you know, I found that in this situation, it seems like until we realize it ourselves, we never get much traction in overcoming it, amen? So how do we identify unbelief in our own hearts here? By finding the places where we've stopped short of accepting and applying God's known truth to our lives. Here's what I mean about that. We know we should do what God says, but we do the opposite of it anyway, you say, well, why in the world? You know, it's what Paul expressed. It's what Jesus pointed out in his disciples. But why is it? not? I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know, uh, you know, I shouldn't, you know, commit sexual sin or I shouldn't steal or I, I shouldn't put drugs in my body, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why do we do that? Here's why. Because down to the root of everything, we don't believe that if we do it God's way, it's going to satisfy us and bring us contentment. It's rooted in doubt and unbelief. God says "Now nah, that don't look like it's going to be fun, God. That looks boring. Right? Come on. So if I can get just a couple of you to smile, man,, you're going to make my day. Well, you know, God says, but I don't and, and, and you look at him, we might not even want to admit it out loud, but you know what, I, I don't think that that's going, to, that's going to make me happy. That's going to fulfill me. So identifying unbelief in our hearts is discovering those places where we stop short of applying God's truth, where we know this is what we should do, but we decide to do the opposite. And when we find ourselves in that situation, we've got to cry out for help. I believe, but help my unbelief. God, help us all to see the places where we struggle with unbelief. God, give us the humility to cry out like this man with our unbelief, with our issue, and bring it to you and ask for healing. Verse 25, gears shift a little bit here, and Jesus deals with that unclean spirit. And by the way he deals with that unclean spirit, he shows us three things. Remember, the church has authority over the darkness, amen? Amen. The Bible says, these signs shall follow them that believe. What? In my name, they'll cast out devils. They'll speak in other tongues. You know, the whole list. But the, the first thing we look at there is authority over unclean spirits. And Jesus shows us how to deal with him here, almost inadvertently. He doesn't say, you know, one, two, three, follow the steps, here it is. No, but just by the way he deals with this unclean spirit and this boy, he's showing us what to do. The first thing we need to understand is what happens in verse 25 as he calls out. He said, when Jesus saw the... uh, It says, immediately the boy's father cried out and said, 'I, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was rapidly gathering. Listen, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. So let's take a look at what's going on there. The first thing that Jesus does is, you know, the crowd's starting to gather, and we're gonna talk about that. But the first thing he does is he names the spirit. They didn't know what it was. It makes him deaf, it makes him roll around, it tries to kill him. Jesus calls it by name, deaf and mute spirit. You say, what's that all about? Jesus identified what he was dealing with. He used discernment. Amen. Now realize where do demons come from? They come from the third of the angels that fell from heaven with Lucifer when he rebelled against God say Lucifer said I will be like the most high and Jesus said I saw him fall like lightning from heaven his pride raised up and God slammed him down and a third of the angels went with him and those angels were stripped of their glory that they reflected from God and they became demons so Jesus knows exactly who this little demon is and he identifies him he says what you know he calls him by name you deaf and mute spirit So uh, as he's dealing with this situation, he shows us that discernment is very important for us to use our spiritual authority effectively. If we're going to use our spiritual authority effectively, we've got to have some degree of discernment. Someone say amen. Now, you say, well, I don't know. Do I have discernment or not? I found that any time that I've had to tangle with the darkness, the Holy Spirit would rise up in me and give me the spiritual sensitivity I needed to overcome. Amen. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the darkness. It's so quiet. Because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Amen? I know it's like a little bit, you know, I've seen a lot of movies and I'm not, you know, forget the movies. Let's go with the scripture. Amen? Let's go with what the Bible says. Jesus names the spirit by name. You deaf and mute spirit. And so he calls it out. Uh, now, according to 1 Corinthians 2.10, discerning spirits is not, you know, all of us should be spiritually sensitive, but the discerning of spirits is actually a spiritual gift. You know, it says here in 1 Corinthians 12.10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy Uh, to another the discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. So in 1 Corinthians, when it talks about the spiritual gifts that the church would have, one of them was the, the discerning of spirits. And that's a specific gift. You say, well, how do I get that gift? Pray for it. Ask for it. God wants his people to be discerning. Amen. You, you and I can learn to be spiritually sensitive. Listen, the longer you walk with the Lord, the longer you walk in the spirit, the more you're gonna sense spiritual things that are out of whack. You know, there's been times where I've traveled and it's interesting. You can go to other places, other countries. I've gotten off of planes and felt dominions and powers and felt spirits. I've went to third world countries where, you know, the enemy's a little more out in the open and I could feel the oppression just getting off the plane. I went to places in the United States, different regions, places in Canada, where immediately I could feel a difference in the spiritual realm. And you can too, if you learn to become sensitive to it. Pray for that gift to discern spirits. It's important. It's important for our prayer and our spiritual warfare. It's important for us to push back the darkness by naming the names and taking authority over it in Jesus' name, amen? The second thing Jesus does here, and he's teaching us, is he casts out the spirit, but he gives it specific instructions. He says, you know, you know he doesn't have a big dialogue here. He doesn't go back and forth. He doesn't, you know, uh, you know, ask for its address and it's, you know, what it likes to do, take long walks on the beach. No, he just goes right after it, and he casts it out, but, but there's some specific instructions that he gives there. He says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. So that's the instruction that he gives. Come out and don't go back in him. You know, there's many times we can get delivered of something, delivered of an addiction, delivered of, uh, you know, a bad pattern in our life, delivered of drugs and alcohol. But if we're not careful and we don't fill that hole that's now in us with godly things, we wind up going back to the old thing. Come on, how many times got delivered from drugs, got delivered from pornography, got delivered only to go back and tangle with that thing again? And the scripture says something very sobering about that. You know, the worst thing that can happen to someone who gets delivered from spiritual oppression is that they find themselves going back because Matthew 12 uh, gives us a really sobering insight about this. Matthew 12, 42 through 45 says this. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter the dwelling there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Ouch. Amen. There has to be wisdom. When when you and I are delivered from something, we have got to be very diligent not to go back to it. You say, How do I do that, Pastor? It's it, it's so enticing, it's so alluring. First of all, there's places you need to now avoid. There's people you need to stop fellowshipping with uh, fellowshipping. There's there's you know, there's things you need to stop doing. If you're delivered to alcohol, don't hang out in bars. If you have a problem with what you look at, don't be on the computer alone. Come on, church. You know, we make this more difficult than it is. But when we get delivered and we go back and we get delivered and go back, you know, it gets worse and worse. Pretty sobering there. Enter that dwelling and the last state of the man is worse than the first. Wow. Jesus cast that thing out, and says, don't go back into him. He uses his spiritual authority to discern, and then he exercises dominion over the spirit by commanding it. Number three, the third thing we learn from the way Jesus deals with this situation here is he refuses to give the darkness an audience. You see, Jesus is dialoguing with the man. The man is expressing his faith, telling about what his kid has been through. And then the scripture says, Jesus saw the crowd gathering. So what's happening is here, there's a little show going on here. You got somebody, you know, falling on the ground, writhing, foaming at the mouth. You know, they didn't have Netflix, they didn't have movies to watch. This was their only entertainment. And so, people are like, "Wow, I want to see what's going on here." So they're running up to see the show. And Jesus is like, "Oh, no, 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 no. I don't no, I'm not giving the enemy an audience." So he immediately cast that spirit out. When when he saw the crowd rapidly rapidly gathering, You know, it's our job to showcase the light. It's our job to showcase the kingdom of God, amen? It's our job to lift up Jesus and to shine light in the darkness. It's not our job to tell about how scary the devil is. You know, I've been around some Christians that the devil this and the devil that, and the devil made me do it, and the devil and the devil and the devil. Well, why are you always talking about the devil? I don't wake up in the morning and think about the devil. I'm thinking about Jesus, amen? The devil's defeated. If he's smart, he'll stay out of my way. I don't need to go looking for him. The more Jesus you get into, the more the devil makes himself scarce around you, amen? But our job is not, you know, and some some Christians and some books that I've seen and some ministries that are geared towards this, they want to shine the light on on that. Why? Because it's intriguing to people. And you know what? We need to showcase the light. Jesus refused to give the enemy a platform here. He refused to let him, you know, captivate the people, scare the people. He just rapidly cast that thing out and, and and moved on in deliverance. Now, you know, forget about how scary the darkness is. Tell people about how wonderful Jesus is. Amen. Now, verse 26 and 27 is pretty interesting here. It says, after crying out and throwing him. Uh, into convulsions, it came out. So one more shot he gives this kid. This poor kid's had a tough day. He's rolling around. It comes out of him, and so and it says when it came out, he was so much like a corpse that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. Let's take a look at that. Now, the Spirit tries to put on a show for the crowd. Why? We know why. To project power he doesn't have and to scare the people. He throws the boy down one last time. And uh, everybody in the crowd is a little bit freaked out, you know. Why? Because now the kid, after that whole show, is laying there still like a board. And he's not moving, and everybody thinks he's dead. So what is the kingdom of darkness trying to project here? Trying to project that they just bested Jesus, that they killed this boy right in front of the Lord. That's what the Spirit's trying to project there, even for a moment, to scare the people. And, you know, what does Jesus do? He's unfazed by all of this. He he just kind of ignores the show that's happening here. That's the first thing. He There are two things he ignores. One, he, he ignores the show, and he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't just cast that spirit out, and he just shuts the whole thing down. He ignores what happens here, and then he just proceeds to smash the power of darkness. What? He delivers him. And and, and in in a sense, it's instantly over, immediately. There's no struggle. There's no fight. There's no wrestling. Come out. He comes out. It's done. The second thing Jesus ignores here is this. He ignores the opinion of the peanut gallery. You see all the people, oh, he's dead. He's dead. He's not dead. That that spirit didn't kill the boy right in front of the Lord of glory. He didn't just best Jesus. But the, the opinion of the crowd was that he's dead. Jesus doesn't acknowledge their opinion at all. He doesn't acknowledge the opinion of the peanut gallery. And guess what? Neither should we. The story is told of an old judge who was frequently ridiculed by a conceited, arrogant lawyer that came in his court. When asked by a friend why he didn't rebuke the lawyer who was so clearly out of order, the judge replied with a story. He said, in our town lives a widow who has a dog. When the moon is full and shining bright, that dog stays outside and barks at the moon all night. And the judge concludes his story and doesn't say a thing. There's a long pause and finally the friend says, "Uh, what does that have to do with what I just asked you? He said, the point is this. Despite all the dogs barking, the moon continues to shine. We are wise to let gossips gossip and critics criticize and the know-it-alls second-guess everything and the dogs bark. Just let the dogs bark. You and I have one job, and that's to continue to shine. Amen. You and I continue to shine. Oh, no, pastor, you know, I got to answer my critics and I got to put them in their place and I got to set the record straight and I got to go on Facebook and social media and I got to, you know, give them the last piece of my mind that's still working. Come on. Do You realize you could, you, could fight, you could fight with people all day long every day. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've found out in life uh, there is no shortage of morons out there. Uh, it's a franchise. (laughs) I mean, there are people that will argue with you over everything, taking shots at Jesus and saying things about the church. And I've seen people say, you know, the Bible was written by 12 people in a cave. And I'm like, where do you get this stuff from? I don't have time for that anymore. I don't even answer anymore. I I pray for, I shake my head for a while and then I pray. But Jesus doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't comment on what the peanut gallery says. He doesn't refuse. Oh, he's not dead. Watch, watch. Everybody, don't, don't disperse. We're going to do a miracle here, everybody. Then we're going to take an offering. No. He just ignores them. And he, and he does what the kingdom does, amen? You know, you and I need to be careful how we respond to critics and the know-it-alls and the dogs that bark because they can rob our joy and steal a lot of our time, Amen? And at the end of the day, you know, a, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You just can't. Some people you can only pray for. I hope we can learn that lesson, amen? Maybe you're listening today and you, you feel like uh, the darkness has bested you. You know, the enemy wanted to project, yeah, I just killed this kid and, you know, there's nothing that Jesus could do. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like the, the darkness has beat you up. The, the darkness has bested you. Maybe you feel exposed and your issue made public and, and now you're a spectacle and the peanut gallery has got all kinds of criticism and, and it got all kinds of things to interject there. Maybe you've had relationship failures and uh, addictions or financial disasters and bad choices voices. Maybe your secret sins became public and you're exposed. I want to tell you something today. Jesus is reaching out to you. What did Jesus do with this boy? He reached out to him and he raised him up. And that's what Jesus wants to do for all of us today, to reach out to us. But they're criticizing me. They're laughing at me. They think I'm a joke. Jesus loves you. He forgives you. He's got grace for you. He's reaching out to you today. He wants to grab your hand and lift you up. But you don't understand pastor. I'm so I'm so deep in the mud. I'm so deep in the in, in the hole. You know that I, I don't know. Listen, Jesus came down from heaven into the mud and the muck and he got in the hole with us, amen, and he lifted us out by the cross. So he's reaching out to you today. Don't stay stuck. Don't give yourself to the in, over to the internal conflict. Don't let the enemy defeat you. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be overcomers, so that we would be victorious. you feel exposed today? Do you feel like the, the darkness has bested you? Jesus is reaching out, and he wants to lift you up. Verse 28 through 29, close down the miracle where we get a sneak peek into the disciples having a sidebar with Jesus. And that's, you know, that's what they do. They would, they would go out there and they would do their best. And sometimes, you know, they would get beat up. And then later they would pull Jesus aside. You know, what does this parable mean? Or, you know, what, did, what, what was the implication? of? And now this time they're like, you know, why couldn't we cast it out? And that's a good question to ask, amen. You know, it, a lot of us wouldn't have said anything about this. We would have got alone with Jesus and been like, what's for dinner? No, but <laughs> when we fall, when we fail, when, we, when you, spiritually we, we get stuck, we need to come to the Lord and be humble and ask for help and ask why. And, and you know, that's the, that's the privilege of discipleship. Because we're his children, we have proximity to him. We can be close to him. We can ask him the things that are on our hearts. And he's never going to get mad at us if we ask him why. And these guys ask why. And Jesus' response to them is going to give us a 3 pronged attack on how we deal with the darkness. Now, remember I said this miracle is recorded in other gospels. Well, in Matthew, he he has a detail to the the answer to this question, why couldn't we cast him out here? And I want to cover that with you. Matthew 17:19 through 20 and the disciples came to Jesus privately And said, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, listen, because of your meager faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So Matthew picks up the point that it was faith and their, the, their lack of faith that caused them to falter in this situation. Now, in Mark 9 here, it says this, and when they came to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And so he said to them, the King James says, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. There are, the three-pronged attack is this. If we want to deal decisively in spiritual matters. We have to increase our faith. We need to pray, and we need to fast. Now, I notice whenever I say the F word in church, fast, everybody gets quiet. Let me talk to you about fasting. Look, none of us enjoy being hungry. You know, I was joking with first service. You're like, Jesus, you want me to stop eating? That's all I got. That's all I got left. It's My whole day. I remember when I was a kid, we used to watch Woody Woodpecker. He had a watch that said breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right, Pastor Mike? And you're like, stop eating. Listen, here's the here's the thing about prayer fasting is that spiritual one-two punch that has so much power the people of God need to understand it some of the translations leave out fasting because it's not in all the manuscripts but it is definitely a part of what goes on here why is fasting so powerful listen I talked to you about the internal struggle it's the spirit against the flesh when we fast we we put our flesh down when we turn our plate over and don't feed our flesh guess what its power is diminished so that our spirit can become more in tune and acute, and we can be more connected to the things of heaven. When your flesh is full and satisfied, and, and, you know, and your belly's full, you're not thinking about spiritual things. Prayer and fasting diminish the flesh increase the sensitivity of the spirit. It's the one-two punch. Listen, if you've got family members you've been praying for for years and they're not getting saved, you need to pray and fast. If you've got co-workers that you've been crying out for, you're trying to share the gospel with your friends, they don't wanna hear it, you need to pray and fast. I have friends that just don't wanna hear nothing from me and Lou, I would pray and fast and all of a sudden they're inviting themselves to church. Listen, it's a powerful one-two punch that we need to use. That's the most clapping for fasting we've ever heard. Faith is important. We've got to increase our faith. I believe, but help my unbelief, you and I need massive doses of God's word to get this truth from here to here so that we not only become hearers of the word, but doers, and we begin to apply it then. When our faith is increased, nothing becomes impossible for us. Faith, prayer, and fasting those are the three components that Jesus listed you know why don't we have author- why don't we exercise authority over the darkness why does it seem to best us and beat us up? We need to pray fast and increase our faith let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I thank you for this miracle that we're looking at here we're experiencing here and though we don't go looking for the darkness and many of us might never tangle with Evil spirits, Lord, these principles are all applicable to our lives. Father, that we would learn to exercise our spiritual authority, that we would pray for discernment and develop our spiritual sensitivity, that we would learn to discern the spiritual nature of things, to to feel changes in the environment, and to pray accordingly, Lord God, that you would help us, Lord God, to realize greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world, that we would (coughs) always showcase the light And never give the darkness a platform to express itself. We would stay busy telling the world about how wonderful Jesus is. I pray that in Jesus' name and the church said. Amen. Give him praise this morning.